This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello, and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Welcome to episode 60 of the SuperAge podcast. This is going to be dropping on November the 17th, 2021. Great to have you with us. I, I don't know if I mentioned last week, we're well over 100,000 downloads now. So, um, wow, that's really great. I'm so flattered. Um, and I'm so happy everybody is here. And hopefully we're contributing to people's ability to live longer, live healthier, and live happier. One of the things that's been on my mind this week is, you know, in order to super age, there's a lot of things we have to do to take care of ourselves and to take responsibility for these things. And we can often get sort of lost deep in the weeds on these things. And I've sort of been telling people that I believe in the big rock theory. In other words, if you've got a pail and you want to fill it up, what you do first is you put the big rocks in, and then you add the little rocks. So what are the big rocks? So the big rocks are food, nutrition, what are you eating, movement, um, so that's exercise, strength training, cardio balance, um, stretching, things like that. And then there's sleep, which is massively important. If you're not getting good sleep, the first two things aren't going to work out for you so well. So got to have a good sleep program going on. And then something that we often forget is stress, that stress has an enormous impact on the, you know, our health outcomes. It's what's signaling our epigenome to turn on and turn off certain parts of our DNA. So those are the four big rocks. It's movement, food, sleep, de-stressing. So if, if we get too deep in the weeds on, on any of the things that we talk about here on these sessions as far as supplements and vitamins and, you know, all the other sort of things that we talk about here, just remember those four things. Um, you know, if you can optimize those four things, you're going to be doing really well. You're going to be doing better than, you know, 95% of the people out there. So this week on the show, we have an expert on the microbiome, which is your gut. Um, Dr. Emeryn Mayer. And the more I read about the gut, the more I, you know, what limited understanding I have of this, it's a super complicated thing. And it affects, you know, there's a clearly documented linkages between having a poorly optimized gut and Alzheimer's, for instance. Um, and then there seem to be feedback loops between the brain and the gut. And the gut seems to be this like super complicated thing. So we've brought on an expert on this, Dr. Emeryn Mayer, who is a gastroenterologist. He's a lecturer. He's an author, an editor, a neuroscientist, documentary filmmaker, and professor in the departments of medicine, physiology, and psychiatry at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. And he was a pioneer in the medical research into the brain-gut interaction. We're going to get with Dr. Mayer in just a second after a quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a platform like no other. It helps us optimize our health and our performance out in the world. Did you know if you get a physical these days, the standard operating procedure for most physicians is not to measure your vitamin D level. They just assume that you're deficient and that you should probably take 
you know, the general, what they tell you is like 600 IUs of vitamin D every day. A much better solution to this would be something like the Inside Tracker platform that will test your actual levels of vitamin D, make a suggestion to you through the platform of how much you should supplement or not, because maybe you don't need to supplement, and be testing a whole range of the other critical biomarkers that will affect your health as you go forward and give you solutions for them, mostly food-based solutions. I'm a huge fan of Inside Tracker. I feel that having uh, having the knowledge of where you are internally, like what's your LDL? What is your vitamin D level? I have that in my phone every day. And I'm familiar with what those levels are. I had, before I started using Inside Tracker, I had no idea. It was just something the doctor would say, like, well, you're good. Maybe we need to work on this. Inside Tracker says, this is exactly what the level is, and this is exactly what you need to do. Go to insidetracker.com slash ages today. Save 25% on all of the products. Empower yourself with the knowledge of what's going on inside your body. Hey, Emran, how are you today? Uh, good to see you. Good to talk to you, David. Uh, I'm fine. Looking forward to this conversation. Um, I, I know it was a bit of last minute and you had, um, you know, we were discussing uh, offline, you live in Topanga. And if anyone knows Topanga, um, you know, there's often things like electrical problems or interactions with nature that um, can be difficult. <laughs> yeah, that happened today. Um, new um, utility poles and the whole street was shut off of electricity. So it's all taken care of now. Wonderful. Um, so could you tell us um, a little bit about your background and, and about yourself and about your work? Yeah, so I'm uh, Emron Mayer. Um, I'm, I've been a longtime professor at UCLA. I'm a gastroenterologist by training um, and a neuroscientist. Uh, I've also, I've, I'm also an author and I have an interest in documentary filmmaking. So a lot of um, interests that have all sort of, you know, converged in the last few years. Um, the main, my main work has really been on studying the, the interactions between the brain and the gut. I've done this for decades in, 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 in my position, both in research, but also the clinical implications like in patients with irritable bowel syndrome. Um, but now, since we're also including the microbiome in this interaction, the brain-gut microbiome system, the disease entities have, have increased significantly to now, you know, looking at Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, cognitive decline, um, multiple sclerosis. In all these disorders, um, the, this brain-gut microbiome system has been implicated. We, we don't have you know, definitive proof about causality of the microbes really cause or play any role in causing these or making these diseases worse. Um, but we know that if you look at a stool sample, that there are different between these different uh, conditions, psychiatric, neurological, uh, metabolic. Um, so wherever people are looked at, they find there's a unique um, phenotype of the, um, of the gut microbiome. So this is this has kept me busy. It's been a fascinating career trajectory. I found brain gut interactions interesting enough, but then when the microbiome was added to this story, it became even more interesting. And you know, as we talk, probably talk about later, it has expanded 
my interest on from the microbiome side all the way into plants and soil and uh, and how that affects our gut microbiome and our health. So it it sounds like our guts for a lot of us are kind of messed up. And how does that how did that happen? Like why why are our guts so messed up? I would say you know, it's always been a common, so irritable bowel syndrome, that is, you know, a combination of abdominal pain and discomfort with altered bowel habits, uh, you know, that affects a significant, depending on what criteria you use, a significant percentage of the population always has, it's been fairly stable. Um, but then there's a lot of people that don't quite meet these criteria, these uh, diagnostic criteria, but have the same symptoms, you know, have recurrent discomfort, uh, have irregular bowel movements. Um, and this is sort of, um, this, this wasn't a topic for dinner conversations. You know, if you, if you have chest pain um, or if you have broken your leg, I mean, it's, you can talk about this every time you're at a dinner party, everybody wants to hear about it. There's no embarrassment, there's no shame with it. Um, these gut symptoms until, you know, couple of years ago were not really suitable for that. People always, patients always told me about this is they can't talk to anybody because it's embarrassing. You don't, you don't want to talk about your, your bowel habits. So interestingly, what has happened with uh, the, the ascendancy of the microbiome science, that is now acceptable. You know, there's not a party or a social event that I get invited to that somebody doesn't start even over dinner start talking about the microbiome um, only when then it gets too specific about <laughs> stool consistency and that kind of thing then you know people shy away from it but but in general now a lot of people that have this is my opinion a lot of people that have had these symptoms and had you know suffered from it are willing and able to speak up and that has been picked up by um you know by a lot of entities by um to a certain degree by the healthcare system, but not as much by functional medicine practitioners, integrative medicine, um, but also by a lot of people that, you know, that make their income with selling supplements and dietary advice on the internet. Um, so it's it's become it's become a very popular topic, I, I would say. And industry is jumping a lot of startups. Um, I've been in contact with a lot of startups, some more credible than others. Uh, that want to, you know, be active in that in that space, um, and like the probiotic market, for example, is a rapidly, continuously growing market. Um, prebiotics are, um, symbiotics are, you know, so very interesting phenomenon. At this stage of my career, you know, for several decades, nobody was interested in the topic I want to talk about it, but now all of a sudden, it's in the New York Times and uh, everywhere. You know, so I'm not sure if the actual prevalence of of um, a messed up gut has increased. I mean, it probably has during the pandemic because there's a lot of anxiety and stress associated has been associated with it. Um, and but I, I think there's there's two things. One is people are more willing to talk about it. Um, people that want to make money out of this has have come to the scene and amplified the signal. So you almost get the impression we're living in an epidemic of, of disordered gut problems, uh, you know, and 
Well, it, um, you're, you're a scientist. Um, how do you test? Like, is there a specific test for like healthy gut versus like, is there like a number or is it just symptomatic or the what? It, how do you do that? Um, you know, I've I had a whole chapter in my my second book about this topic, and um, it's it's there's not an easy answer. You know, I mean, healthy gut. The way I define it is if um, so. I talk. I I create this this term, or I use this term. Somebody else came up with that word of the gut connectome. So the gut is an organ that's not just as we thought in the past um, necessary for digestion and um, you know storage of of, of stool and uh, um, absorption. It's a very complicated organ. It's probably the most complicated organ because it has its own immune system 70% of our immune system is located in the gut it has its own endocrine system hormonal system uh, you know if you added all the hormone producing cells in the gut together it would probably be one of the biggest endocrine organs in our body um, it has uh, its own nervous system 150 million nerve cells that make up the enteric nervous system or little brain of the gut um, and even though all these cells have been studied by scientists in isolation, in reality, we're realizing they're all interacting with each other, you know, they, and that's where this term connectome comes from. Every time we have a system where multiple components interact with each other, be it the microbiome, you know, thousands of different species interact with each other or the, the brain connectome. So we can talk about this gut connectome. And if this gut connectome is in a balanced state, so um, it any system, a healthy system meets certain parameters of, um, of you know, you can you, you can use so the systems biology language for this um, um, diversity, uh, abundance, richness. Um, you can apply these terms to that gut connectome. And that's probably the best definition. So it would be the absence of inflammation, the normal regulation of the the endocrine system that you know with with, with the brain, um, a abundant and rich and diverse uh, microbiome. All these are are different aspects of a healthy gut, and. Um, you know, what we, I think what we have observed is that um, our modern lifestyle is definitely um, not very conducive to, to a healthy gut because what we eat and, you know, uh, the, the whole standard American diet story that uh, plays certainly a significant role, but also then, you know, stress. So the brain talks to that gut connectome as well. So stress has has the ability to bring to disturb that balance just like an unhealthy diet does so there's uh, the, the brain related stress and there's the diet related stress and they all affect that um that ecosystem or this biological system or this gut connectome and um, on the other hand when you say <clears throat> can you test you ask me can you test this and so the the current now that you know we have much more data than the beginning of the science like it was only 10 years ago um, so people have studied samples in different geographic locations the countryside and the cities um, uh, different ages and 
you can't really say there's one healthy gut microbiome. You know, it's influenced by the geographies. It's influenced by any of these factors that I mentioned to you. Um, and also, you know, one thing that that I often use. So, the 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 gut, the gut microbiome of our um, historical ancestors, like the hunter gatherer remnants in living in. in in East Africa or in on the Orinoco River, um, you know they have a very high diversity, their richness. They um, and but you can't really compare that with us because we're living in a totally different environment, different temperature, different uh, geography, and like one one thing that we know about the microbiome, it does adapt to these different situations. It's one ability that it has like any ecosystem has is adaptability it can adapt um so if you um you know if you grew up in the countryside on the farm you were exposed to all the farm animals and a different diet you have a, a unique microbiome that's adapted to that environment if you then move to new york city and live in in a small apartment in a high-rise building um and have no contact anymore with with farm animals or with with nature to that degree your microbiome will adapt to that so you may you may be healthy living in in new york city just as the farmer was healthy but you have a different gut you know and a different gut microbiome so it's it's hard to answer that question there's obviously a lot of commercial entities that claim they can test your gut and tell you you know how healthy you are um and that science will improve over time and the, the the lessons that we get from that will will give us more um actionable answers that what we can do to um you know to to improve it at the moment i would say um you should really think about do you have the optimal gut for the environment and the country and the the place that you live in um, that is not associated with low-grade inflammation that's not associated give you a higher risk of a variety of metabolic diseases so i i, I guess the answer to the question is um is if i'm not symptomatic if it's not then th th like there's no one number or or test that says you have it it's just like is this working out for you within your environment yeah you could say <clears throat> um yeah i mean you you know so there's a lot of metabolic diseases where you don't feel that you're that you're sick i mean this is kind of the problem of it like you know obesity or metabolic syndrome you may feel healthy you know you may be uh, you, you may be a very busy executive um and only when somebody measures your hemoglobin a1c or more sophisticated, your like inflammatory parameters in your blood, which are normally not done in blood tests, uh, then you would know actually you, you, your gut and your gut microbiome is probably not in balance. You know, so right. uh, you you can't just go by your symptoms. Um, even people that live a very healthy lifestyle, you know, and do marathon uh, or marathon runners, they may drop dead in their in their forties. You know, in in, in which. So like excessive exercise, for example, you know, has one of these effects and negative effects on your gut and the microbes. So you may feel incredibly 
powerful and, and, and vibrant by running these marathons, but you may not be the healthiest person metabolically and from a, from a gut microbiome standpoint. So let's, um, I want to, um, when I think about the microbiome, I think about, I, because I, I don't know, maybe I watch cartoons, but I think about it is this like collection of little gut buddies down there that are helping me do things. And there's probably a billion of them down there doing something or other. So what's the mechanism, like you mentioned stress. So what's the negative? So if I'm stressed, how am I hurting my microbiome? Yeah, so, you know, just to sort of repeat this, what you said, I mean, there's trillions of these guys down there, you know, there's, okay, thousands, trillions. <laughs> there's a thousand different species, and there's, you know, trillions of them. <clears throat> At some point, people, uh, you know, estimated, we have 10 times more microbes in our gut than human cells. That has been corrected. It's it's about one to one, roughly, or 40 to 60. Um, but one unique thing about the gut is um, makes it really a unique organ. It's so it's not just working in in in, in isolation. Uh, what stays in the gut doesn't. What what happens in the gut doesn't stay in the gut. You know, it goes uh, through various signaling molecules to every part of of the body. And um, with with the immune system being a particularly important one. So if you get if you have an unhealthy gut microbiome, an unhealthy gut, you have it's more permeable to um, to signaling molecules from that your gut microbes produce. They can be neuroactive, or um, you know they've been shown to have many many functions on on, on different organs, particularly on on the brain. So. <clears throat> All these signals that are generated in the gut, they can reach the bloodstream, not all of them, but a significant amount. And then they can reach the brain and can, they can influence brain function. Um, and the brain equally has a lot, has the ability to signal to the gut and the microbes. The brain is connected um, with, you know, with, with the gut through multiple um, pathways, nerve pathways. So the vagus nerve is, is one of those pathways. And the vagus nerve is not just one nerve, it's composed of you know, many different subtypes of fibers, each which transmits some different type of message in both directions. You know, it's a, so it's a very, it's a bi-directional <clears throat> communication system that, um, so we used to call it the brain-gut microbiome axis. So that wrongly implies it's a it's a linear system. If one thing happens here, it affects the gut. It's really the brain-gut microbiome um, system, where everything is connected with feedback loops. And uh, so, I I always like to say, if if you're stressed in your brain or if you have negative emotions in your brain, your gut knows it. You know because it gets these signals. Um, and vice versa, if your gut is in imbalance, your brain knows it. You may not be conscious of it, you know, because a lot of these signals happen, um, so-called interoceptive signals happen without reaching consciousness because you would go crazy if you felt everything that goes on down there. Um, but it affects regulatory centers in the brain. So very intricate uh, connection and, you know, scientists are working, including our own group, are working on identifying characterizing these pathways and um, 
um, you know, somewhat redundant. You can you can cut the vagus nerve. We used to do this beginning of my career. Somebody had a peptic ulcer, a stomach ulcer. You would cut the vagus nerve, and you know, the, which would help the ulcer go away. Um, but you cut all these other communication pathways, and it's remarkable. You know, some people had some very strange symptoms after that. They were never explained. Um, now we don't do this surgery anymore, so. We, we can't really study it, what effect, you know, it would have on this microbiome communication. But, um, yeah, I, I think people need to realize that just the way that you have a, a facial expression of emotions, and if you trained in recognizing, looking at people's faces, you see if they're ang anxious or angry or, or sad, <clears throat> you have to imagine the same thing happens in your gut. There's different flavors of how your gut functions, different amounts of blood flow, contractions, secretions, <clears throat> depending on your emotional makeup. So the picture you're painting for me is this trillion cell, very complex, not organ, but organism um, that's part of me that's in a feedback loop with my brain and all the rest of my organs. Did, did mm. I get that right? Yeah, that's a good characterization. Yeah, I would say that, that it's, it's... So, so it's in my best interest that I keep these trillion gut buddies really happy or I'm going to have a bad relationship with them and that's not going to work out well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this is sort of my message, you know, um, I mean, there's a lot of science still ongoing. You know, I mean, I, I would say in this field of microbiome science, we're probably into the first 10% of our knowledge, which, you know, in 10, 20 years from now, we'll look back and say, God, how simplistic were our concepts about this. But <clears throat> I think one thing that, that, that I can say is if you keep in mind, um, pay attention to the optimal health of your microbiome by, you know, minimizing stress, particularly chronic stress, mental stress, um, by minimizing dietary stress, by eating a healthy diet, by, you know, like doing all the things that we know uh, from older epidemiological studies have a beneficial effect on your health and your healthy longevity. Uh, um, all these things have been shown to have beneficial effects on, on the gut microbiome uh, ecosystem. That, like, you know, regular physical exercise, many studies have shown that that, you know, has a positive effect on your healthy longevity can add up to 10 years of life in, when you do this from your 50s on. Um, and we know that that kind of exercise has a positive effect on, on microbiome system health. If you are an ultra marathon runner, the, 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 the report is quite different. You know, it, it actually is perceived by the body as a major stressor um, and the body, including your immune system and the gut will will react to this just like a, another major psychological stressor. So I, I think that's another important thing to, um, that people need to keep in mind, you know, the, 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 the optimal way of doing things is not to doing it excessively, but doing it regularly and um, keep in mind, you're dealing with a, a complex ecosystem that doesn't like, you know, major perturbations. It, it, it wants to be in steady state, you know, like any other ecosystem. 
Um, so I have a, you're probably going to laugh at my question here, but um, so when I go to the, I go to the market and I get myself a probiotic and it'll say it has five strains or something. And then, and then it like a multiple of billions of how many of them there are, but there are only five strains or maybe seven strains. But what we're discussing is trillions of strains. So what difference does it make if I take these five strains, no matter how many billion members of that I, I, I put in? I don't help help me out there. Yeah, so probiotics, that's again, um, it's not only an area that is continues to grow, you know, in terms of its commercial aspect, uh, it's predicted to, in, to keep increasing. There's also a lot of very interesting science going on around this. So the initial wave of interest in marketing was all, you know, simple. Everybody should take his or her probiotic. Uh, initially, it was one, you know, then it wasn't even tested if it's going to make it down into the large intestine. In the meantime, this has gotten more sophisticated, as you said, multiple strains, um, you know, high counts in, in each capsule of each of these strains. Um, it's been demonstrated, I, I think it's almost necessary now to demonstrate that it survives the transit through the stomach with all its acid. And, but it's still, you know, it's still not taking into consideration several other things we have learned about the, the, the microbiome. One is it has a property called colonization resistance. It doesn't like other newcomers to settle in into its its population um you know you almost could compare this to countries that don't want to like don't like really? to any foreigners coming so in they don't, so they don't welcome new visitors they they, they want to keep it all to themselves um yeah so but there's some exceptions so some people don't have that as strong so in some people some of these microbes are allowed to settle we don't know if these are people then that have a greater benefit from taking probiotics. We also know that from a recent study, I find that really fascinating out of Stanford, uh, that if you're on a, on a probiotic rich diet, uh, on a, shouldn't say probiotic, on a fermented food rich diet, uh, and they measured the, the microbes that are associated with these fermented foods like kombucha and kimchi and uh, kefir and, you know, a whole range of other things. Um, if you um, if you then look at the gut, it's so the diversity and relative abundance and richness of your gut microbiome of the gut microbiome of people that were on that diet. So these are not capsules that they swallow, but you know the um, probiotic foods with all these organisms that are normally or sold in in capsule form. They found that it was not just the organism that that came with these fermented foods, but it also facilitated the colonization by other organisms that either before that were below a threshold of detection, so they now were allowed to to, to grow and uh, do they, wait. So do they cooperate? Yeah, and this this was the first time that I've seen this that it would actually uh, facilitate this increase in, in in diversity. So that the, the so the newcomers helped these. Um, the existing, but um, you know, in, uh, infrequent and less abundant guys to to come up. <clears throat> so that. that's really fascinating, and that I think it's going to open up a whole new field. Um, so the question that I have is, 
would that happen also with probiotic pills you know or is this something that comes with you know microbes being associated um um you know, do they come from, from outside? Uh, are they associated with these foods if they're not pasteurized um, just from the production, not from the fermentation, but just from the production? So if you if people bought these, so this was a study done in the Bay Area where I'm sure a lot of people buy their foods at farmer markets, uh, you know, farmer's markets that, that may not go through the same sterilization, pasteurization procedures as they do if you buy them in a, in a supermarket. Uh, so, so we don't know, but it's a really interesting. Um, it's well, a really. I, yeah. so I have a completely unscientific theory about this. So, if you're taking a pill, it doesn't come with its like own food source, right? Like, if it's if you have the bacteria growing in in, in some sort of fermenting, it's sauerkraut or something or other. It it comes with. So um, I guess that would be a prebiotic, right? Because it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 so maybe the whatever that's maybe that sauerkraut acts as a prebiotic for some of the other bacteria down there. Um, yeah. So this is a possibility. Um, you know, there's also something I, I just, I was uh, on a scientific advisory board yesterday and there's also, so another area that's kind of emerging now is, is the, 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 the virome, not the microbiome, it's the virome to so the viruses that live in, in, in the gut that interact very closely with the bacteria. <clears throat> And we're learning what these interactions are. And so initially it was thought they're what we call phages, that the main job is to kill microbes. And, you know, the image kind of appeared or the notion appeared that this is constant warfare down there between the microbes um, and uh, between the phages and, 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 and keeping sort of a steady state of uh, steady population. But what some of the people that presented at this at this board meeting show that um, certain bacteria have their connected virus with them. So they have a symbiosis between a virus and um, and so if you if you, you know, uh, consume this probiotic in a pill form, it likely comes without its virus, you know, <laughs> it been, and, and that may change the function that it has, because what this does is the viral um, bacteria bacterial interaction didn't kill the bacteria, but it changed their function. So it's a lot of things, very exciting things in, in, the, in the research area. There, there are new, so there are new, you know, probiotics um, um, coming on the scene that um, they are not the ones that are currently the lactobacilli strains or the bifidobacteria strains, but they're new, um, new, new, new taxa um, and um, so one of those is, you know, commercially available um, probiotic of a bacterium called uh, Achaemantia, which plays a big role in the mucus layer in the gut. And, uh, uh, you know, it's been implicated as a, as a positive factor protecting you against uh, inflammation. So this is happening now as well. So this is a, is a series of new organisms that has been developed and tested in vitro in the test tube in animals that will gradually make its way to in, into human use. So this field is very dynamic. You know, it, it will change. Um, some of the leading companies in this field um, are doing, are funding, uh, you know, controlled studies. Um, that's, uh, 
that, that's sort of another new thing. So up to now, there's very few controlled studies that really would prove that, you know, what's being claimed. Um, the benefits are claimed from from small uncontrolled studies on in a test tube. So this is changing. Um, so yeah, this field, if, if you talk to me in five years from now, I would probably give you a much more definitive answer because this is something, um, and I personally was not supportive of popping probiotic pills. Uh, I've always emphasized this, even supplements in general, unless you have a specific deficiency, you know, micronutrient deficiency. But, you know, I, I may change my mind on that, depending on the science. You know, I, I follow the science. I don't follow the, the claims that are being made um, in, in, the, in the commercial space. I, I have, um, I put goat kefir in my protein smoothie in the morning. Is that okay? That's okay. Um, I, I recommend people, I mean, almost like, I mean, this is before that Stanford study came out. The best thing is to, you know, to eat a diet that's high in fiber and high plant-based food and high in varied fermented food products. Um, and then some of them, you know, come, have both, like sauerkraut is both the, uh, you know, the, the fiber from the, um, from, from, from the, from the vegetable and, you know, the, the, the microbial organisms. Um, and it's, it's part of, you know, the national, the national diet in, in Korea. I've always been amazed you go to a traditional Korean restaurant or travel in Korea, when you see that, you know, what variety of fermented foods they eat, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. Uh, I've often thought about this and, um, be fascinating to do a study, you know, and I'm not exactly sure how you would would do this in a in a good way. You would have to you would have to find a few Koreans who don't <laughs> love you know kimchi and, and fermented foods as a control group, but that, that may be very difficult to do. But. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm just imagining like, you know, you've got like a dozen people locked in a room over here. It's <laughs> not, not a good way to go. Um, so if I got all my gut buddies down there, I got a trillion of them. Um, what happens to them? How do they feel? I mean, I'm like talking about them like they're a conscious entity, but they sort of are. So if I just stop feeding them, like I stop eating, what, what happens down there? Yeah, so this is in some ways, <clears throat> so you could say starvation, you know, is another one of those um, dietary stressors that uh, obviously the gut and the microbiome. Like, we'll call it fasting, not starvation. Yeah, yeah, fasting. So it's just like the ultramarathon running would be the starvation. Fasting would be, you know, the regular daily one hour exercise, uh, aerobic exercise. So um, this has become very popular. Um, and both in terms of, you know, a one day fast or two day fast a week, or some people for spiritual reasons, do it for a week. Um, I personally like the intermittent, um, um, you know, the, the, the time restricted um, food intake, because it's more practical, you know, and there's also demonstrations from animal studies and from some human studies, not from all, uh, you know, from all studies, but that that has a beneficial effect on the composition uh, on your on your gut microbes, but also has beneficial effects on indicators of systemic or gut inflammation. 
Can we just, I, I want to just put some numbers on this. So when you're talking intermittent fasting, yeah, exactly? I, I mean, I actually prefer the term that not using fasting, but using the time-restricted eating. Time-restricted so, time eating. What, what do you prefer on that? What I prefer on it, it's you, you can eat the same amount of calories. Um, you probably won't because of the, 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 the timing. Um, but for mouse studies, you know, you can, you can let a mouse eat whatever it wants. But if you restrict the window of food intake to eight hours, so 16 hours without food intake and eight hours with food intake, it has all these beneficial effects that, that the, the more, you know, more difficult to implement fasting regimens have, like one day or two day of, of, of fasting. And it's, it's obvious. That was, that was on a mouse though, right? But there are some human studies now as well, you know, okay. and, and, and I have to say, I have to disclose, you know, during the pandemic, um, so my wife and I, we tested this ourselves, mainly the feasibility. We didn't measure our blood levels of, of, of any inflammatory mediators. But so we measured our, our weight and our um, performance level and activity and energy level. And um, so first of all, it was easily feasible. After you overcome the first, you know, uh, the, the first week or so, um, Secondly, we learned you can break that cycle um, over the weekend or when you have guests over because it's very difficult to, you know, to have guests over and say after eight o'clock, you're not going to eat or drink anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, 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 it turned out to be um, practical. We, all, we both lost weight. Um, we also learned we could exercise in the morning, um, you know, without breakfast. Um, without any side effects, no hypoglycemia or no weakness or fainting or uh, <clears throat> so and, and we have maintained this pretty much um, and you know feel feel really good about it. I, I talked to a lot of friends and colleagues who have done the same thing and they said it was the only thing that they found practical in terms of maintaining their ideal weight and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to even more science to confirm that, you know, but as I said, there's a couple of controlled studies that in humans that that showed the, the benefit. Um, but like many of these in, in this field, I mean, you want to see, you know, five or 10 placebo controlled studies, uh, you know, before you really say it's scientifically proven. Um, I've, I've almost gotten to the point, you know, this is an interesting phenomenon for somebody who spent their whole career in, in science that that I see now what's happening um, that so many things are recommended and sold um, and people make billions of profit without the science or with a sort of a, a pseudo or fake science behind it and the science itself is no longer seems doesn't seem to be that essential anymore you know it, it's really sad to see that um, Part of the fault is that scientists and people in academia have not done a great job in conveying their own findings um, in a user-friendly way. And this has sort of become something, a passion for me now that I'm on this, you know, on this path to try to get this message correctly to as many people as possible with books and podcasts and, and social media. Um, but um, with this time-restricted eating, there's, there's things that you learn also about it. Uh, it's 
so what I mean, what do you normally eat after um, after you have your dinner? It's um, it's high caloric snacks in front of the television uh, or, or when you're stressed. So this all goes away. You know, you 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 just can't do that, and and you're not you're not substituting this with snacking throughout the day. You you just cut out um, a lot of these unhealthy foods that are being advertised at the same time where you shouldn't eat them. You know, the TV is full of pizzas and, and you know, un unhealthy foods that people then go to the fridge or order, order a pizza when, when, when they see this. So it changes your eating habits as well, you know, just by restricting the time. Um, and you're also not, you're not hungry. You know, it changes your satiety mechanism. It's, it's really interesting what, what this does. I wanted to ask you about something that I've heard about. Um... This TMAO, um, the interaction of um, uh, carnitine, um, red meat and egg yolk, with the gut bacteria, which then goes on to d deliver and cause problems. But um, what, what, could you explain this to me? Is this a real thing? Um, no, this is a real thing. And uh, some very good science behind it, um, Stan Hazen, you know, it's done beautiful work first in, in animals. Um, some of my colleagues at UCLA have been involved in this work as well. And, and then also did human studies. I mean, this, this, the simple part of the story is, is easy. So, so bacteria uh, metabolize carnitine and, um, you know, egg yolk into, um, into this compound trimethylamine which is then absorbed, goes to the liver, is oxidized in the liver, gets into the systemic circulation um, <clears throat> and interacts with, with coronary blood vessels and has been shown in some studies, both animal studies and human studies, become a, a risk factor for coronary artery disease, you know, equal or more important than cholesterol. Um, so, but the thing is not everybody's microbiome produces that substance. So it's a, it's a subpopulation, the re, and it's also not all red meat. It's um, I think kangaroo meat is sort of the, the highest in that. Oh, you know, I eat that every day. Yeah, I can imagine. That's, that's my that's all I eat kangaroo meat. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there, I'm sure there's people in in Australia <laughs> where this is being you know popular, um, but yeah. I don't know what the final story is. So this looked initially, sounded initially that this is going to be one of the most important aspects of the microbiome. That that you know, if you. Uh... So you you said something very interesting here, and I, this goes back to the, what you originally said. Everyone's biome is different. Depend. I mean, there's no optimal biome. It's just different depending on where you are, what you're eating, that sort of thing. And what I just heard you say was that this sort of negative reaction from the carnitine is specific to certain people's biomes. So it's not across the population. This is not, not everyone would have this reaction. And I'm, and I'm going to go a little further here. Not everyone could, would have this act, reaction. Um, like if I lived here, maybe I have the reaction. I go to France, maybe I don't have the reaction because my biome's different. Did, did, did I go crazy yeah, and it, yeah, so this, you know, this goes to the point that, um, so many, also many of the beneficial effects of um, the gut microbiome are affected by this phenomenon. So, um, for example, the conversion of the female sex hormone estrogen 
you know, which is excreted through the bile, gets into the small intestine, is then metabolized by microbial communities. And the metabolites, the breakdown products, are being reabsorbed. Um, and that adds to the level of, of estrogen, for example, plays an important role in postmenopausal women. So, you know, it's, it's salvaged. So rather than losing it through your stool, it's salvaged, goes back into. But not every woman has the same constellation of microbes that can do that. Um, and, and it's the same thing about polyphenols, you know, these health-promoting molecules in many plants and, um, and uh, vegetables and, 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 and fruits. Um, some people have what's called an enterotype, which is a, a sort of a, an ecosystem of certain strains of bacteria that can break down these polyphenols into health-promoting molecules, but not everybody does. So this is a very common phenomenon. You don't see this, so for example, these stool tests you asked me earlier, you know, can you test for healthy microbiome? So they tested at the level of, of species at the best. So there's this taxonomy of, of, of you know, any living organism um, goes from, you know, family to genus to um, species to strains. At the strain level, you know, um, or at the species level or genus level or family level, we're all very similar. You know, it's like, um, but the further you go down with, with your microscope, you go down to the strain level and there's only about 10% that's being shared by, uh, like between the two of us, you know, even though genetically we're, we're much more similar, you know, we, we share, we even share a lot of our genes with, with mice and um, I, I think it's like 90%, you know, but on the microbial strain level, so this, this, this sort of, you know, super microscopic, uh, if, if, if you sort of could make this magic journey into the, the into the microbiome. Once you get down to this very low level of um, organism um, identification, you um, yeah we're all very different, and this this will become so. This is not caught by these microbiome tests that you currently can do. You know, and so you could almost say it's almost like. You're, you're, you're testing something that is not the most important thing for your health or your gut health. You know. So I, I, I want to go back to what you were saying about the salvaging of the estrogen. Um, now, is there a specific, have you identified like a strain um, that would help that, like if you could, and supplement with that? That sounds like a genius idea. And that's the, that is the future. That this is the future of microbiome therapy. You know, it's not being identified down to the strain level. It's still these these studies that have been done, um, just show that um, on a, on a species level, the relative abundance of of you know certain. I, I've I forgotten what what microbes played the, the main role in this, um, but it was, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It was pretty. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a few of these microbes that that do good things in in many areas of of the gut and and in in your health, but again, it's the same thing. So we talk about, you know, acamantia or E. coli or, um, but th this is at the species level. You know, mm -hmm. you go down, there's there's as many numbers of bad E. coli um, strains as there are good ones, and um, you know, so 
whatever we know in the science today is 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 not the resolution that we need to ultimately make therapeutic recommendations i, I think your idea this is definitely going to happen in, in in many areas you know a very a, a very exciting possibility you mentioned the soil um early on and what effect does the biome of the soil have on the plants that grow on it and therefore on us when we eat them is there any sort of does it does it go up the chain like that it's a fascinating story you know um, and unfortunately we won't at the time because we're sort of almost at the end of the podcast um i would recommend people to read my second book the got the immune connection because i go into this i got really fascinated writing this part and talking to people that that have investigated this space the simple answer is yes there's a very close connection so the health and and again the same ecosystem concept the the diversity relative abundances richness uh, of the soil microbiome particularly these these microbes that interact with the root system of plants or the, the rhizosome um, so when the plant is under stress and this is sort of the, the simple explanation when the plant is under stress any kind of stress uh, uh, drought ex extreme temperatures and so nature is under that kind of stress right now uh, in general um, then the plant sends down signals to the root system, which is translated into a secretion of these sugar-like molecules that attract microbes from, um, from the soil that become like them, they colonize the, the rootlets of the, of the plants. And then these microbes stimulate the plant to make these polyphenol molecules, which is the way that the plant defends itself and protects itself against stress and disease uh, and um, you know that that also has an influence for example on 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 the taste and quality of wine so wine that has been grown in a year of a drought um, has more of these molecules than the ones where it rained a lot um, on all of our fruits and vegetables however when, then I should finish this, 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 this beautiful story. So the plants that have a high concentration of these polyphenol molecules, this pharmacy of the plants, if we eat these plants, um, we can't absorb these molecules because they're really big, you know, uh, molecules. That's what they call polyphenols, many phenol, uh, phenolic acid molecules. And um, so we can't absorb them in the small intestine. They're too big. So they, they migrate down into the end of the small intestine, into the colon, the large intestine, where they're then broken down by microbes into smaller entities that are absorbable and that also have beneficial effects on our gut microbes. And so if it, it closes this circle, you know, from the health of the soil microbiome, the health of the plant, uh, the health of our gut microbiome to the health of our body. It, it's a beautiful holistic stories if 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 you want to if you want to have, have an example of you know systems biology or a holistic view of of health uh, to me that's the most fascinating story we have interfered we are interfering with this pretty dramatically because chemical fertilizers um shortcut the system this interaction between the plant roots and the microbes because we now provide these these chemical fertilizers directly to the roots of the plants and shut out the microbes so 
we may get, you know, three harvests a year of, of really big fruits and vegetables, but they no longer have this high concentration of these polyphenols and these, these health promoting effects. So it's, um, whenever I hear things like uh, hydroponics as a solution to the future, you know, growing, I mean, unless you add microbes to the water, you know, which I'm sure people will at some point figure out that that's essential. Um, yeah, all these artificial ways of growing things, um, you know, is is not taking into consideration what we're losing doing that. I I think, Emron, your future is with Disney. Like I can see you and Disney getting together to tell this. Like I just I'm just have this picture in my mind of this interaction with the plants, and then the plant, the polyphenols, and it goes into my body, and then you know, the various parts of my gut who deal with this. Um, I think this is fascinating. Um, it is fascinating. Beautiful. And you know, I've, I've always had this interest in, in documentary filmmaking. And uh, we are working actually on, on a project um, with that. So yeah, it's just, I mean, the same thing happened to me. I was completely fascinated when I got into this. I couldn't stop, you know, reading about it and talking to people and talking to um, you know, the people that made this movie Kiss the Ground, I actually recently visited, um, you know, visited this this farm that they have outside of LA, which is a, a living example of, of how you can do this to optimize the, the, the soil um, microsystem diversity and um, Ryland Engelhart is, is, is the person that, you know, became a friend of mine. Um, yeah, I would recommend anybody, you know, who, who is living in the LA area to visit that farm and to, to see that firsthand and to get a demonstration of it. Because, um, yeah, I, I think it's one of the most exciting things in, in sort of in, in, in this area. It, it fascinates me more than what startups and the pharmaceutical industry wants to do with these ideas. You know, I, I think to looking at nature, how nature uses this is, is a fascinating idea. So I want to I want to leave my people with some things they can do, um, because now we know we've got our we've got our tr trillion gut buddies and we want to keep them happy. So um, uh, what are five things people should do to keep their gut happy? Yeah, so there's you know, we talked about this earlier, the influences that we now know affect uh, the, the health of the gut microbial ecosystem. You start with the diet, you know, and that hasn't changed much since uh, Michael Poland um, wrote his seminal books of book of books, um, you know, largely plant based um, um, things that look like food and are not ultra processed. Um, and um, that's probably the easiest thing that you can do if you have access to it. I mean, sadly, we don't have not everybody has access to this kind of um, the second thing is clearly a healthy mind state. You know, mindfulness today has sort of become a household term, and you can get an app um, to train yourself uh, without seeing a therapist. Um, so equanimity, like all the contemplative techniques where you don't react emotionally and with a stress response to the things that are going on in our environment, which are obviously increasingly stressful. I mean, the pandemic is a good example for that. Um, regular um, moderate exercise another factor that plays a big role in this um, we didn't talk about the topic of sleep regenerative sleep is another um, 
area that has been associated with a healthy gut microbiome because the rhythmic activity, what happens during sleep is also reflected in the rhythm in the gut microbiome. Um, so we have four, um, yeah, what, what, uh, which one did I forget? Um, um, yeah, healthy, healthy diet, healthy mind, healthy body. Uh, I, I would say if you, and, and then, you know, not do the, the negative things. So the smoking and the alcohol. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, these factors, we knew that before the microbiome, that these are, are health promoting, you know, this, it's a health promoting lifestyle. So it's not, this is not rocket science, it's not new, there's more studies now that show it. But now we know that one imp important component mediator of these healthy lifestyles is a healthy microbiome that translates this into um, a healthy immune system activity and prevents, you know, diseases like our modern uh, non-infectious uh, non health epidemic that we're experiencing with all the metabolic diseases. Right. Um, I think I'll, I'm going to add number five, sauerkraut. Yeah, so that would fall into the diet part. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're also a fan of sauerkraut. Um, I, I ate this when I grew up uh, as, a, as a kid in, in southern Germany in Bavaria um, and thought this was a really um, kind of archaic but helped. So when we had stomach aches, we, our parents would give us sauerkraut, which actually worked. I had no idea why it would work. In the meantime, you know, you look at the French cuisine and look at other cuisines around the world. I mean, they use sauerkraut as a as a regular ingredient, you know, which which we do now as well. So it's uh, it's come full circle. I think it's it's been known as a folk medicine for a long time, like many of these other things. But now they come back with a microbiome story to it. Amazing. Emeryn, thank you. Um, I, I love the visual aspect of your storytelling. It's, <laughs> it's really delightful. Um, and I, I think that um, it's really, you know, my takeaway on this is I didn't realize the, the variability of the gut biome from, like you said, I, I share 10% with you. And then my gut biome is going to change depending on where I, what I eat and where I live. It's, it's a, it's a highly dynamic um, environment. There isn't any right state other than one that functions well. So um, that, that was great. Yeah, no, thanks, David, for giving me the opportunity. It was really fun, really fun talking to you. And uh, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you liked the visual aspects because it's clearly something that, you know, this documentary filmmaking is one of my passions. And I'm, I'm glad you I- You gotta could... get an animator. You gotta yeah. get yourself a great animator. This is all I'm, I, I'm, I come out of that background. Um, this is animation. It's a beautiful animation that you could do with this, but. Uh, yeah. Thanks for this. <laughs> so I, I think you asked me in the beginning, you know, what, what I would like the audience to do. I mean, so yeah. you can see it in the, in, in the background. So I'd like to disseminate this message to as many people as possible. Um, yes. Through my books. Um, and, um, but also, you know, through social media, through my website, emramayor.com, um, we have a newsletter that goes out to, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people. And you, you learn, you have access to Instagram and all these other social media outlets. Um, yeah, if, if you can, 
encourage your audience to take advantage of that free service. You know, I think absolutely, absolutely. We'll put we'll put all that uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes so people will be able to see um, and you know knowledge from real real science based knowledge is things that we really like around here. So well, thanks very much again that. for the opportunity. Absolutely. Take care. Okay. Take care, David. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the show today. If you have any questions about the gut-brain connection or the microbiome, um, send them to me, david at superage.com, and I'll forward them off to Dr. Mayer, and we'll see if we can get you an answer. If you have any comments, if you have any thoughts, if you have any suggestions for the show, oh, I love those. Also, david, superage.com. I answer all of my email directly and personally. And if you like the show today, hey, please leave us a rating. Please tell your friends about the show. That's the only way people find out about this. Um, And leave us a comment on the show if you like. Next week, we're coming back with Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor. He's got a new book out on energy. We're going to be speaking to him about that, how to optimize your energy during the day. Everyone have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week. Take care now.